Seinfeld, the suicide is over and has been for quite some time, but we're just getting started here on Seinfeld, the post-show recaps. Now, here are the two guys who have fantastic coma etiquette. I'm Rob Sestrino. Here's Akiba Winokur. Akiba, how are you? Uh, I'm doing great. Coma etiquette. Uh, you know, who'd have thought? Yeah, it's a hashtag. We, we already have our hashtag two seconds in the podcast. Boom. Yeah. All right. How about that? Let's, are we done? Is that We're it? We're done. Good night, everybody. That's it. Yeah. All right. So we are going to be talking about the suicide from Seinfeld season three, uh, an episode I'm sure we will have a, a lot to talk about here. January 29th. 1992 was the original air date about a guy who lives next door to Jerry Martin slash Martin, who has a girlfriend uh, who thinks that Jerry is trying to steal his girlfriend and he tries to commit suicide. Uh, And then Jerry like gets into a relationship with the woman and we see our first appearance of Newman and he's going to squeal on Jerry uh, after a bribe of a Drake's coffee cake doesn't go as planned. Elaine is fasting for three days because she has to take an ulcer test. Uh, George is going on a free trip uh, but doesn't because of a uh, pregnant smoking psychic uh, and who doesn't tell him exactly what the problem is because uh, she gets mad at Elaine. So a lot going on here. Uh, Yeah, it's, um, you know, sometimes the wackier episodes, there's more to dissect. I think sort of the lead here is that Jerry's a horrible person. Jerry's not a nice guy in this episode. I mean, you know, he's in a coma for how long and he's already moving in on the guy's lady. Yeah, everything happens very fast. There's a very accelerated timetable in this episode. Even at the end of the episode where Kramer comes back from the trip that George was going to take, Jerry already has an invitation to a housewarming party for Martine and Gina. And I don't know how, is it like a week after he got out of the coma? He not only like got back together with Gina, he also moved and printed invitations, which went out to the mail. Maybe Newman just hand delivered that one. Yeah, that's possible. But I mean, if you had, you know, an adulteress or, or you know, a, a girlfriend stealing leech like Jerry in your building, you'd also move out right away. I guess so. Yeah, that Jerry is trying to steal uh, Martine. I, I thought that maybe there could be a little bit of the Popeye olive oil Bluto thing going on where it's like she likes to flirt with another guy just to get him mad. So he goes and beats up another guy that to prove how much he loves Gina. I mean, Gina is obsessed with sort of manliness and, you know, oh, you're not a man. Yeah. And it seems like she wants to get caught also. Uh, yeah, she, you know, because she knows at the end of the day, Martin's not going to beat her up. Yes, he's always going to beat up the other guy and then thus proving how much uh, he loves Gina. So uh, Martin, Martin and Gina, a very troubled uh, relationship, which we will uh, explore in this episode. Of course, uh, this is what episode number 32 overall. Yeah, 32, only 100, uh, 148 to go. Wow. We're almost there. We really put a dent in it. We're almost there. Yeah, it was written by. Um, Tom Leopold, yes, who uh, who you know still won't return my tweets, and uh, directed like always by Tom Charonis. Yes, and really the big claim to fame for this episode is it's the first appearance of Wayne Knight as Newman. Right, as uh, as we mentioned uh, in season two's The Revenge, Newman has a also a, a suicide related subplot uh, where you know Kramer is, is being hassled by Newman, who to get attention keeps threatening to commit suicide, but you only hear the voice, and of course when you see the episode, it's the voice of Larry David as as uh, Newman. 
Yeah. And what Wayne Knight says in the scene of the on the inside looks, he says that he actually re-recorded that for the syndication. Is that right? Yeah. And he also he throws in that he did it for scale. Yes. You know, what's that like 500 bucks a day or something? Yes. Very nice, Newman. What a nice guy. All right. So uh, any Seinfeld related news this week, Akiva? Um, yeah, I guess we have some sad news. Oh, no. Somebody uh, went to the alternate side. Yeah, I was thinking about this and I think we shouldn't do fun facts, you know, if it's within a year. We probably shouldn't do it at all. Let's just let's retire fun fact. Oh, you were. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, oh, no. Because you look at some point, we're going to get somebody mad at us. Uh, let's just go. They've either gone to the alternate side They've or, gone to the alternate side. or they're okay. eating at Reggie's or uh, something like that. OK, so. Um, yeah. So uh, Taylor Negron, I don't know how to pronounce it. Negron, Negron, um, who uh, was uh, the hairdresser in the smelly car season four episode. Um, perhaps the source of the B.O. Yes, uh, the B.B.O. Uh, has uh, has gone to the alternate side. He was a comedian. He was like a you know character actor who I don't know if he had like one super duper famous role, but you know you you definitely recognize him from a bunch of different things. Okay, so uh, very sad news to report uh, this week. Always the bearer of bad news. I mean, you know, hopefully there'll be good news. But uh, Curb is coming back. Seinfeld's coming back. Yeah, you're never like, uh, oh, Wayne Knight had a baby this week or anything like that. <laughs> all right, all fine. My goal for next week is I will find some good Seinfeld news. Like Michael Richards is not racist anymore. Yes. That, that, well, I think that's already been established. He's not racist anymore. Is it established that he's not racist or that he's just not out and saying racist things? Is there a big difference? I feel like that's... I don't know. Is he like a proven non-racist? That's a good <laughs> I question. I don't know. We can't see what's in his heart. There's no way Michael Richards ever does stand up again right yeah yeah he's got to stop that i think that he's retired yes i think so all right let's get into talking about the suicide and of course uh the episode starts with jerry's stand up and he's talking about all the things about a physical uh elaine is going to be trying to get tested for an ulcer in this episode which is sort of a subplot which is just an excuse for her to be starving hungry for three days uh it doesn't really go anywhere as far as elaine's actual ulcer is concerned uh we talk about jerry and the urine sample and then also getting tested for superhearing anything here akiva uh, no, I mean, I thought it's pretty funny. It, it is kind of awkward when you have the urine sample. I feel like that, you know, that could be handled. You know, there could, it could have its own room or something. Its own room? I, I don't know. It's like, you know, you know, you don't have to like, because sometimes you're like, depending on the layout of the doctor's office, you're like parading around the office with this urine sample. Yeah, it seems like there's never any sort of standardization with it. So like sometimes you go in there and they're like, all right, here's the cup and they put the sticker on it. And they say, okay, here you go. And then sometimes like some places like, okay, we have a cabinet, put it in the cabinet and then we'll go in and get it. Or they have like some sort of like a predetermined area, go put this in. And then other times it's like, all right, go then walk down the hall, go around the corner, go past reception and then uh, put it on the counter next to the coffee maker. There's really needs to be some sort of industry standardization that comes in. Uh, yeah, that's not a bad idea. If they ever do like a new sort of like national health plan, I feel like uh, I feel like that's got to be thrown in there. Yeah. Could we get maybe Obamacare 2.0 to sort of like 
come up with some guidelines on this. It's not a bad idea. Yeah. I think that maybe at the very least, there should be sort of like the kind of thing where, you know, you have like um, the, you put over like a cake, uh, sort of like uh, like what would you call that? A what? Like a urinal cake, you mean? Not a urinal cake, like uh, like a cake that you would serve to people. You have like a cover all over the oh, cake. Oh, a cover. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Well, like, why do we need to see the urine? Well, why not in like the doctor's bathrooms? You could kind of like, there's like a slot and you just like drop it in the slot there, like a male slot. I think the splashing is probably the issue with the dropping in the slot. Well, I, oh, I guess, yeah, I guess there, there's no cover to the cup usually, right? Well, usually I think there's some sort of a sealed thing, but I think you sort of, you don't want to jostle it. Because then when you open the lid, I think then you don't want, uh, you know, things on the top. I don't know. Maybe there is no easy solution to this problem. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure like many studies have been, you know, people spend millions <laughs> of dollars trying to figure this out. Probably. <laughs> anyway, so we start off with Jerry talking to Elaine. They're going to have a big dinner because Elaine's going to start fasting. Jerry's asking about what would happen if you named a kid Rasputin. Yeah, I was looking. Uh, I couldn't find an example of someone actually being named Rasputin. Yeah, I feel like that's more of a last name, isn't it? More than a first name? Yeah, probably if someone's name is Rasputin, it would be a last name. I guess like Putin is, you know, Vladimir Putin is, you know, the last five letters in there. I, yeah, I guess so. But, uh, you know, you don't see a lot of Rasputins walking down the street. Would you rather Rasputin or Seven? I think Seven is better than Rasputin. Yeah, no question. Seven is better. Absolutely. Now, when we get to the end of the episode, the woman who's the psychic, the smoking psychic, she has her baby. She names her baby Rasputin. Yet it's just a complete and utter coincidence that there was no mention of Jerry talking about the name Rasputin and then the psychic's baby being named Rasputin. But yeah, but she's a psychic, so she probably knew about the conversation. She knew about it? Okay. Well, that would make some sense then. Anyway, so Elaine is very hungry. She's eating chips. They're on their way to dinner. George comes up. Uh, We get the piece of information of Elaine is fasting for three days. And Elaine asks Jerry if he's ever fasted. And he says no. I mean, I guess you usually, like, when, when does a person normally fast? Before a colonoscopy? I'm not sure. Um, like, what, have you ever fasted? I really have not. Other than when I was on Survivor, uh, I would say that I have not ever fasted. I mean, I have had go, to go to like the go to the doctor, and um, there was uh, a point where they felt like they were concerned about my cholesterol, and I had to go to the doctor's office at two o'clock, and they told me I couldn't eat anything the whole day, and that was really tough. Yeah, you got to get the early appointment. Got to get the early appointment. And I was like, oh boy, two o'clock. I'm like, can I have coffee? I kind of cheated. I like woke up at like five o'clock in the morning and ate breakfast. Yeah, I think when they mean that, I, well, there's probably an hour sort of a limit where you can't do that. So you probably, your test was probably, you know, voided. <laughs> I think it was okay. No, they said it was fine then after that. So I'm not sure if the food was a good, a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, I fasted a lot. Of course. Yeah, there's a lot of Jewish fast days, but it's, and you can't eat or drink, but never for three days. That would be crazy. Ironically, I feel like the fast days are probably the most slow days. Yeah, I, I feel like that joke has probably been done. Like if you're in that world a lot. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm an outsider. I'm an outsider. The, uh, you know, they can be as short as like, you know, 12 hours, but they could be up to like a day plus a couple, you know, an hour or two. Yeah. They get they get um, the ones in the summer are tough. Basically, you want to lie in bed all day. That's like the ideal fast day. Yeah. You want to fast on like December 21st, where it's like the shortest day of the year. Yeah. There's one of those. But also if you get. Yeah. I mean, if it's like a Sunday and you could just like sit and watch football and like you don't even realize like, all right, the, you know, it's over before you know it. Yeah. If it's like a slow summer day and there's nothing doing and you, 
you're at work, then it's a disaster. Yeah. All right. So let's get into uh, this whole thing with the garbage. Uh, This is sort of a weird piece of business that comes up. So Jerry has a garbage that he needs to take out. He walks out into the hallway. First time we've seen the hallway set, I feel like, in a while. Um, We see George. uh, He says, do me a favor and throw out my garbage. And George very quickly says, give me $2. And the negotiation goes down to Jerry wants to give him 50 cents because he can get a Drake's coffee cake. Yeah, but a small one, not the big one. The junior. Yes. All right. Akiva, let's start off with uh, Jerry wanting to pay George to take out the garbage. I mean, a little unlike Jerry, you know, he's, he's clean. He wants the garbage out of his apartment. And, you know, but that's just such a lazy move. How far could it be? How far away from his apartment could it possibly be? Yeah, I mean, do we ever see the trash shoot? I'm assuming there's a trash shoot. I don't think you have to go down in the elevator with the garbage, right, to the street. No, you know, he said it's on the floor. There's got to be a shoot. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it happens to be one of the nice things about living in a Manhattan apartment, the trash shoot. Yeah, I used to live in an apartment like that where there was a trash chute and you had to sort of like walk down to the end of the hallway. I, my apartment was actually kind of far down the hallway, but I mean, you're already, it seemed like you had to be halfway there. Yeah, I did. I once threw um, a bunch of paychecks down the chute accidentally. Yeah, that was bad. <laughs> What'd you do? Uh, I, I asked the super. And he was very nice. And there was probably a lot of rats in the room that the trash went into. It wasn't an incinerator. I think some of them go to an incinerator. Wow. But not this building. And he got it out. Um, you know, I was, I was very appreciative. Yeah. Oh, my God, Akiva. Uh, that was wild. They were like paychecks for you or for other people? No, it was for me. It was, it, it was you know, I just never went to the bank. And I just had them in a bag. And I accidentally threw out that bag. It was just like a plastic bag near my bed. And yeah. I just threw out that bag instead of like a bag of garbage. Look at you, Akiva. What a baller with a plastic bag full of checks. Well, I don't think that's a baller. I think that's like insanely lazy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you had to earn the money to get the checks. I, I guess that's true. But, uh, you know, some of them you ever have like a check you find and it's like, oh, you can't even deposit this anymore. I don't think I've had that. I don't think I've had that one. Um, oh, I'll I, find that for my wife. Like, you know, some grandparent will give the kids like a birthday present. And it's like, oh, that was from like 2008. Yeah, like Jerry's grandmother. And then and then you like call and you're like, uh, this is awkward. Like, can I have a new check? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the negotiation is 50 cents Jerry wants to give George to take out the garbage because uh, you can get a Drake's coffee cake. Um, and we, again, a lot of Drake's coffee cake in this episode. You definitely get the sense here in season three that they're coming up with like random things to talk about. And then we're just going to hit that thing the whole episode. Uh, yeah, they're throwing in a lot more, you know, nonsense in the middle. Drake's coffee That's- cake is the new Pez. Uh, yeah, there are, I, you know, I was looking through it, you know, last week, there is like 30 like food related episodes. It's crazy. Now, the Drake's coffee cake. Are you a fan, Akiva? Uh, no. Do you hate Drake? I don't think I've ever eaten the Drake. Okay. I don't know if I love the Drake. I think I'm more uh, Drake agnostic. Yeah, I'm more of like, uh, you know, I don't like anything co- like I don't mind coffee, but I don't like anything coffee flavored, if that makes sense. But I don't know if a coffee cake is coffee flavored. Well, I've never really had it. So, I, I mean, I guess I wouldn't know. It's possible it's my favorite food in the world. Yeah, I think you eat it with coffee. It's like a cake that you could have with coffee, but I don't think it has, it, it tastes like coffee. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big texture guy. I've got like textures, texture issues. Like to me, I don't know. It's just not interesting. Yeah, it's like a crumb cake. And I, I like a good crumb cake, but I feel like that's sort of like the, you know, uh, Twinkie of crumb cakes. 
Yeah, I'm, I don't like Twinkies. I don't do chocolate. I'm, you know, a lot of that stuff I'm, I'm out on. Okay. So George has a vacation coming up to the Cayman Islands. How about this? George is on his way to a non-refundable vacation. I felt like this is a little bit of a stretch here that George is taking a vacation by himself. Yeah, it, it's not like George to go by himself. Uh, you know, there should have been like a reason maybe why he was going. Like someone just gave it to him. Yeah. It doesn't seem like something he would do. He's First of all, he's unemployed. It happens to be, I don't know if you feel the same way, but the people I know who are unemployed or even unemployable go on the most vacation. Yeah, that's probably right. Like I have friends who like, I, I have no idea how they pay for these things. Like there's a guy like he'll post on Facebook, like he's traveling around the world and he hasn't had a job in like five years. He, he's, I mean, he's not even looking for a job. Yeah, Hard to go around the world when you have a job though, Akiva. It's true. It's true. It's a double-edged sword. But yeah. I mean, I guess if you're like an entrepreneur or something, you work for yourself. But yeah, he, he you know, he just makes it work. He, he doesn't work and he, uh, you know, he's in like, uh, you know, Guatemala every day. Whoa. I know a bunch of people that went to Guatemala. How'd it go for them? Uh, some good, some bad, mixed bag, generally. Uh, some of them are a bunch of scumbags. Uh, anyway, so <laughs> Jerry has this uh, neighbor, but first we meet his girlfriend, Gina, and she comes out, and Jerry, very flirtatious with Gina, say, how much does a Drake's coffee cake cost? Uh, yeah, I also like Gina's real name is Gina. I like when characters like play the real name like they couldn't come up with anything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I mean, she has no opinion on how much the coffee cake costs. Now, I like this Gina, though. You like her? I feel like that they make it seem like uh, Gina is so what a catch this Gina is. Uh, and I didn't find her to be uh, that intoxicating. Yeah, it's not that she's it's it, I would say it's more like she's a little bit like the over the top characters like, you know, like in the revenge or or, you know, in the statue, like, you know, super exaggerated, you know, trying because you only have like a couple scenes trying to like really stretch and, and you know, get them out there. Yeah. And but, um you know, yeah, I mean, I don't like her like her, but I like her. <laughs> Yeah. You don't like her like Jerry likes her. I don't know. I don't like her like Jerry likes her. Anyway, definitely not like Martine likes her. So they're talking and they're talking about the Drake's coffee cake. And what is what happens that she ends up touching Jerry's face? And that's when Martin walks out. Yeah, she's just, you know, complimenting him. And of course, at that second, Martin comes there and, you know, he's like the classic sort of like big, like, uh, do you ever read Archie comics, Rob? I am familiar with most of the Archie characters, but no, I did not read the comics. He's like Moose. Moose. Okay. Or what's the guy? What's what's the guy in? Um. In Saved by the Bell, Ox, similar, I think Ox, but Ox is sometimes like another character. Yes, yes. <laughs> All right, but I get it. And so he's just like this big Hulk of a guy, and he seems uh, very annoyed. And so George ends up saying that. So he had a dream about Martin. Again, uh, this is a little far fetched how we get into this. So George is potentially having a psychic dream, and Martin, Jerry's neighbor, was there. And George was doing stand-up. So, whoa, hold on. Back up for a second. George is having stand-up dreams? I mean, I guess, you know, Jerry does it. And, you know, everyone thinks they can do stand-up comedy. So George is dreaming about it. I mean, are we forgetting that George isn't actually Larry David in this scene? Um, you, why you think like Larry has these dreams about doing stand up comedy in Kennebunkport, Maine? I don't know. I just feel like that if it, it would be like 
that somebody is like telling Jerry that they have his job. Um, it's like if somebody just came up to me like that wasn't a, a person who makes podcasts and was telling me like, oh, I had a dream. I was hosting a podcast. It's like for George to be dreaming that he has Jerry's job. I feel like that would have had more of a reaction from Jerry. It's true. But George has no job. So he has to like live vicariously or dream vicariously through somebody else. Yes. And then so there was all these crazy things happening in the dream. And it leads to... Elaine uh, telling George that she knows a psychic. Yeah, I think her friend goes to one. Yes. Elaine herself doesn't seem like somebody who'd go to a psychic. Yes, but the friend knows. She's a come with gal. She's a come with gal. She'll go to a psychic, but not for herself. And George says he has had premonitions before. He knew he was going to be bald. Jerry says that's because your father is bald. And he says, but yeah, but it's from your mother. And Jerry says your mother is bald too. Akiva, what's going on here? Yeah, I mean, listen, it's not the only non-canonical thing that's said in this episode, but uh, that that is pretty funny. You know, of course, we haven't met uh, George's parents and we won't until the contest. Yes. You know, maybe maybe that's a wig. Maybe Estelle's wearing a wig. <laughs> maybe they're both wearing a wig. Well, yeah, that, uh, you know, that I would like to see the, you know, the, the lost episode where like Estelle's wig falls off. The one thing that we didn't mention from when they were in the hallway was they do this bit that's kind of funny with the garbage where they knock on Kramer's door and then they run in Jerry's apartment and then uh, Kramer opens the door and then picks up the bag of garbage and takes it in his apartment. I do feel like that was a, a little bit of the hijinks that you would do like sort of like in a college dorm. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of like a college dorm, right? And, you know, Kramer probably made good use of that garbage. Yeah. Uh, he does. Uh, God knows uh, what he would do with it. So Jerry gets a knock on the door and it's Gina. Bad news, Akiva. Yeah, what happened? Martin tried to kill himself. Apparently, Gina tried to break up with him. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I guess she's such a catch that, you know, that's it. Life is over. Yeah. And so she ends up taking Jerry and they somehow have to go to the hospital. And we see them in the hospital talking with Jerry and Gina. Uh, yeah, I love I love the hospital scenes. <laughs> They're so first of all, you get the sad bumper music before the hospital. <laughs> yes, you know it's like the very slowed down version of the theme. Yes, and uh, and like all the hospital scenes at the beginning of the series look very cheap. No, yeah, we have a lot of hospital scenes on Seinfeld. Yeah, really. That you know they mine. I, I don't know if they just had a set they really liked that was a hospital. Yeah. But, you know, they really mine for, you know, gold in, in hospitals. Anyway, so Gina's telling Jerry about how Martin doesn't like him and how she's very jealous. And Jerry is just being very friendly. But she says she was not being very friendly. Yeah. Did you get the Sonny Van Bulo Como uh, coma reference? By no, the way? I did not. I did not. That was over it my just, head. Yeah. I mean, I didn't get it, but I did Google it. Sonny Von Bulo was a, um, a lady who was in a coma for 28 years and her husband was suspected of, um, you know, putting her in the coma. She died, you know, after 28 years in the coma. And uh, there was a movie in Glenn Close played Sonny Von Bulo. Okay, so there you go. Now we learned something. That's a fun fact. See, uh, I mean, except if you're Sonny Von Bulo. Yeah, not as fun for him. But Gina is into Jerry and she wants to get with him. And like hook up with him right there. Yeah. I mean, so we said before Jerry's a bad person for doing this, but Gina's a horrendous person. Oh, she's the worst. Way worse. Why can't she just, you know, go to the waiting room or something? Because she wants to get caught. She's one of these people that she's into the, you know, the excitement. Oh, we're going to get busted. Does she just like drama? 
She likes drama. She wants to get caught. She wants to see Martin beat up Jerry. Believe me, this whole thing is going to play out time and time again. They're going to move into the new place and the UPS man is going to come knock at the door and she's going to say, oh, Martin's in the shower. Come here. I want to kiss you. And then Martin's going to come out of the shower and say, ah, you little UPS guy. And then uh, it's going to just over and over and over again. Yeah, but she also tried to pull the plug on him. So maybe she actually wants another picture. (laughs) That's possible. That's possible. But uh, I don't know. I just feel like she really want. I mean, she kept visiting him at the hospital, right? Yeah, but maybe it was just to, you know, try and fool around with Jerry. Yeah. And so anyway, she does, she's trying to uh, make out with Jerry and she's saying, calling him out. What kind of man are you? Jerry's a man who respects a good coma. Yeah, he respects a good coma. Uh, you don't want to mess with this. And um, is this when he says to her also, you know, these juries these days. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I, maybe that's related to the Mar- Sonny Von Bulow case. But the, the, I mean, there, first of all, there's also a lot of plug pulling, you know, humor. There's at least three instances in Seinfeld where like someone is about to pull a plug. Yeah, uh, it was very topical, I guess, because Kramer comes to the apartment and is upset because Martin had his vacuum. And he needs to get the vacuum because uh, that, as we're going to find out about coma etiquette, people are going to start looting Martin pretty soon. Yeah, I think it's 24 hours and, and then that's it. Yeah, it, it's all, all bets are off for the stuff. But why can't he just ask Gina? You know, doesn't Gina have the key? You would think so. Like if she's willing to, you know, basically make out Jerry over the, you know, almost corpse of like the, the boyfriend who's in a coma. She won't, she's not willing to give up his vacuum cleaner? Yeah, but you're not thinking this through, Akiva. If after 24 hours, the looting starts on Martin, who has the most to gain if Martin never wakes up from the coma? Oh, you're saying Kramer is going to be the prime looter. He lives on the floor. No, Gina's the prime looter. Gina gets everything. She's the only one that has the key. And she can get all the stuff. She actually inherits the vacuum cleaner if he dies. Yes, yes. Oh, wow. That could be why she wants to pull the plug. It's a nice vacuum. Oh, so we really like the show's really sleeping on the main plot point here. <laughs> yeah, she might only have a carpet sweeper. Yeah, I mean, carpet sweepers, uh, do they still exist? <laughs> I don't know, but that's the biggest scam since one hour martinizing, I hear. <laughs> one hour martinizing. <laughs> <laughs> so very dated stuff happening here. Anyway, uh, we have Kramer talking about uh, why don't you just call Dr. Kevorkian? Is that, yeah, I mean, I get, do you think people get that reference still? I think people still get the reference, but I'm sure in 1992 that killed, no pun intended, uh, but in uh, 2015, uh, not a very topical reference. It's true, although he hasn't really been replaced as like the number one guy in, you know, the killing people game. Now, Jerry also, I think, uh, comes across as very insensitive uh, in this episode. And I know it's, hey, look, it's 1992. It's a different time. But hammer time. Yeah, it's hammer time. But I think that Jerry comes across very insensitive in this episode towards uh, people who are suicidal. Um, you know, he talks about there. Hey, are there no tall buildings where these people are? I mean, can't they wrap their lips around a revolver? Uh, I don't think you would hear that on a TV show in 2015. That was a comedy. I would agree. I mean, there's def- there are definitely shows that, c- that could get away with it. Mm-hmm. But uh, you're probably right. You wouldn't see it. And I definitely don't think that you'd be able to say the jokes that Jerry is telling at the end of the episode. Yeah, I mean, right. They're similar. They're in similar uh, of a similar nature. But 
I do agree. Like, try a rope. You know, there's nothing more rewarding than, than reaching the goal. Yeah, we'll talk about that when we get there. Anyway, so yeah, coma etiquette is uh, 24 hours. Kramer says it's a land rush. Uh, I thought it was very, very funny uh, <laughs> talking about all this stuff with the coma etiquette. Yeah, there's there's nothing left after 24 hours. All right, so now we have another scene. A lot of this episode I really didn't remember. I must not have ever, like, stayed in the room when I was slipping through, like, uh, Channel 11 and this was on or whatever. Uh, the psychic with uh, George and Elaine. Uh, we see the psychic who is smoking and pregnant. Yeah, maybe this is another 1992 thing. Again, history is going to be on the side of Elaine here um, for the nine-month pregnant uh, smoking lady. Yeah, smoking indoors, please. Yeah, smoking indoors, smoking psychic. Um, Anyway, so George, she's saying, has some ESP. Now, are you buying anything that the uh, psychic is talking about? Like, do you feel like, is the show wanting to make us think the psychic has something going on or is the show staunchly anti-psychic? No, I think they're pro-psychic because one, she offers the coffee cakes and two, she names her kid Rasputin. Well, there is the whole thing that happens with Audrey and he talks about, uh, you know, Audrey had a big nose and he would loved her. Will she ever speak with him? And she says, I see an Audrey with a small nose. Yeah, I mean, it's possible that story went through the grapevine. Is that possible? How does she know that story? Unless, it, unless... She's got some, you know, Rula, the psychic. She's got something. My problem is if she's, if she's such a great psychic, why does she do this from her dining room table? I don't know. But how about this? If we're going to like dig deep on some of these things, the psychic is a recommendation of Elaine's friends. Is it possible in Elaine's network of friends, which Audrey had also come from, that the psychic knew of Audrey who had the nose job? Oh, yeah, 100 percent. Audrey, maybe Audrey went to see her after, you know, after she broke up with George and, you know, you want, you know, told him this crazy story and. She knows all about it. Yeah. You know, that's how they say a lot of these people do it is like, it's like, you know, they sort of get information from other people and give it back to you. Um, She asks George, who's Pauline? Uh, Yeah. So George knew a Pauline because his brother once impregnated a lady named Pauline. Yeah. And his brother doesn't even have kids. Well, his brother doesn't really exist. Oh, yeah, that too. (laughs) (laughs) Right. The only other instance in the series of George's brother coming up is it already happened when they're in the the parking garage. He said, you know, he's talking about like who's a bad parker or something. And he mentions his brother. Does George have adopted parents also who are bald and who have another son uh, who got a woman named Pauline pregnant? Now you're maybe getting to the bottom of this that, you know, that Estelle and Frank are just adopted parents and the brother, you know, maybe because the brother, you know, impregnated this lady. I don't know. Like they lost custody of George. Yeah, they lost custody. But like, I I, I can't see Frank and Estelle being the adopting type. (laughs) All right. So the psychic is about to tell George something very important. She says, I'm going to tell you, uh, you can't go on this trip. And then Elaine starts bringing up to the psychic that she really shouldn't be smoking because she's pregnant. And then Elaine interrupts again. And again, Elaine is not herself because she's so hungry. And the psychic just gets mad and kicks them both out of the house. I mean, it's her house. You can't, you know, you can't make the rules in her house. If It's one thing if it was an office. Yeah. Anyway, so George and Elaine get kicked out. George is very concerned. He thinks it could be a plane crash. Uh, he's saying to her, hey, if is it a plane crash? If you don't say anything, I'm going to assume it's a plane crash. She's like, get out. He's like, all right, it's not a plane crash. Is it a plane crash? Uh, so similar almost to uh, back in the jacket when he's trying to figure out how much the jacket costs. 
Yeah. Is it lupus? Yes, is it lupus? We have Jerry doing stand-up here talking about the psychic's check, uh, that they hide the check on the amazing Kreskin. He says that why don't they stop his check on the for see if he's really psychic? I don't really understand the difference between stopping his check and hiding his check. I guess because he would know. I guess so. But also, I mean, but I, I do like the idea that you need to be licensed to be a psychic. Yes, a psychic license would be good. That would be big business if you could license the psychic. Well, it would probably be the, you know, the, the, the government getting the money. Oh, no. But I mean, if you had a person that was a licensed psychic, I would go to the licensed psychic. Oh, so you mean I have like a psychic network, like the ones they have, uh, you know, late at night. Yeah, but that's like anybody, you know, what guarantees do you have there? If, if you had like, hey, uh, you know, come to me. I'm Rob Sisterino. I'm a licensed psychic in the state of California. You know, then you say, OK, well, this person must be knowing what they're doing is a reputable person. What would the psychic test be, though, to get licensed? Well, I don't think that it's what Jerry describes, which is putting, you know, blindfolded, you parallel park the car. I don't think that's what the psychic does, but I think it's something a little bit like the beginning of Ghostbusters. Have you seen Ghostbusters? I have not. Okay. Anyway, uh, it's a little bit of like, all right, uh, I'm holding up a card. Uh, What card is it? Like Jack of Diamonds. All right, you're good. License. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, no, we could really come up with a good test. I think that's a that's a good start. Yeah. First of all, they're also really into like uh, spirit speaking. Yes. So you know, you'd quiz them on like who's dead and who's alive. Yeah, some sort of like we can have some sort of standardized psychic test. I feel like, and you need to pay. It's sort of like the driving test. You don't need to get a hundred percent, but you can't get less than seventy or whatever it is. Yeah, I would do bad if it was a driving test. Yeah, then you come back in a couple of weeks, and then you would you know take it again. And so I think that that would be very good. But I don't know if we can have the authority to do that. Did I ever tell you about how many driving tests I failed? No. How many? It was a lot. Six? More than six? I I think it was like I think it was more. You failed it six times. No, I think it was more than six. You failed it more than six times. Yeah. You, did you fail but, it ten times? I think it was, I think I passed on the ninth time. Yeah, why? What's going on? Why can't you pass the driving test? I, I, it was the parallel park. I, I, I couldn't parallel park. And also I had like the Chuck Knobloch thing. Yeah. You had the yips. I, it was in my head. I had yeah. the yips. It was, I couldn't, I just couldn't do the parallel park. And then eventually, like, I would get, I even got the same lady twice. I think two different ladies I got twice. Yeah. Which is never good. Yes. And then, but eventually I got a guy who like knew someone I knew and we were just talking the whole time and he passed me without making me parallel park or else I probably still would not have my license. I think that's a very underrated thing on the driving test that they don't really tell you that I think that the driving test is at least like 70% politics. Like I think that you really, have, if you have a good social game, like I feel like your driving game doesn't need to be that great. Like, I feel like, uh, really, I, I'd say 70% it's if the person likes you or not. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And uh, now I know that, you know, when I was what, 18 or 19, I didn't realize that. But the, yeah, the guy, like, we knew a mutual person and, and he was like an old guy and he didn't care. But I do think probably they come into uh, a lot of the, you know, a lot of, like, they'll have be in a bad mood one day. Like, all right, nobody's passing. Yeah, definitely. Because you could find fault with, with, I'm sure, just about anybody. Yeah, it's got to be one of the worst jobs. Or is it a good job? Is it a good job? Is it you like it's like you're your own soup Nazi? They get the um the 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 break on the on the you know the passenger side. That has to be nice. No, but I mean, I didn't when I took my driver's test. I was in my own car. I didn't have a special car. Oh yeah, you're right. That's like driver's Adam. Yeah. (laughs) Um, it's probably a terrible job. No, I think it's a great job. You sit there. It's very repetitive. It's very repetitive. You got to go around the same route over and over again. That, that's boring. But, I mean, you're your own dictator. 
Yeah, I mean, do you think those people could be bought? Are they government employees? Yeah, I, obviously, the thought crossed my mind. I'm sure it's been done before, but I, I don't know. I think that there's probably not enough upside there. If I'm a driver's ed instructor, I'm taking 100 bucks from Joey. His parents find out, and I lose my job. I don't know. I think that's got to be not as good as it sounds. But that being said, I mean, you could just like, uh, you know, I didn't like the way you looked at me today. Fail. Next. You know, you could have some fun with that job. I agree, but maybe for a week, not for like 20 years. It'd be like a good summer job. You wouldn't want to spend your life doing it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Do they have like summer only driver's teachers? I don't know. And what must the test be like to be the person that becomes the driving teacher? I, I don't I don't know. Like, do you are you driving? Do, the, are they testing your driving ability or is it like you're a coach? So they're, they're like testing your, you know, like here, I'm going to drive and then you tell me what I did wrong. I don't know. I don't even know how we got to that from this episode, but <laughs> <laughs> oh, because licensing with the psychic licensing. All right. So well, by the way, one week, we're going to do a no tangent episode. Right? No, that's I think that's part of the fun of this show. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree. But, you know, maybe one out of 180 will do no tangents. All right. Well, you guys pick the episode. Yeah. All business. Gina, she is in Jerry's apartment. She uses Jerry's toothbrush. How about that? Yeah. I mean, first of all clearly i don't it doesn't even have to be said jerry's throwing that toothbrush out the second she leaves yeah and she's like uh your toothbrush is no good and he's like hey you could say what you want about me but don't you say anything about my toothbrush are you um a no sharing toothbrush guy i would be a no sharing toothbrush guy you would be i am yeah who wants to share a toothbrush who's a toothbrush sharing guy yeah i mean i'll be honest you know there's like in our bathroom there's like four toothbrushes yeah for how many people Two kids and, and the two adults. Yes. And I don't really know which one's mine and which oh, one's my wife's. Oh, Akiva. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, she knows which one's hers. Yeah. She, uh, I'm not sure she knows that. Don't tell her. All right, I won't say anything. <laughs> so uh, then we get into the whole thing about, you know, talking about the, what's good, what are you going to do if Martin finds out? And he's saying about the three stooges. And she's asking, uh, who are the stooges? I will show you the stooges. Yeah, this is like something, you know, I really remember from the first time I saw it. Like, this is, uh, you know, I will show you the Stooges. He loves talking about the Three Stooges, by the way. Yeah, he does. So they're going to end up heading out. And one of the things that we haven't mentioned yet, which is a big plot point in the episode, is that Newman, who lives in the building, is friends with Martin. And Jerry is very concerned that Newman is going to snitch on him to Martin. And so... Gina wants to get walked downstairs so she can get in the cab, hoping probably to see Newman so that Jerry can get caught. And Jerry doesn't want to. And she's calling him out for not being a man. And they open the door and out comes uh, Kramer and Newman from Kramer's apartment. Yeah, I have, I have a note in all caps in my notes that says I would not do well with Gina. No, definitely not. The questioning of the manhood. I don't know. I don't, I don't think she'd be so interested in me. No, definitely not. And uh, I would, I'd be out on Gina also. Alec Christie said this line <laughs> during uh, this last past season of Survivor, but the juice isn't worth the squeeze here. I hear you. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure that Gina is uh, worth all this trouble, but they come out. Speaking of juice not being worth the squeeze, uh, we hear Kramer and Newman's conversation, and Newman is telling Kramer that fruit makes him incontinent. Yeah, the, it's a fun fact. Fun fact about Newman. Yeah, the um, you know the first words that uh, we ever hear Wayne Knight say in the show. <laughs> fruit makes me incontinent. Who knew? And also perfectly done. The first interaction between Jerry and Newman is, hello, Jerry. 
Hello, Newman. Uh, not as much disdain as we'll see later in the show, but or later in the series, but uh, perfectly done. Yeah, I mean, some of the things come out, you know, some of the uh, things that really happen later in the series come out half-baked, but this is fully baked, Yeah, the Jerry-Newman rivalry. Newman arrives pretty much fully formed. Like, there'll be other things about Newman that we'll learn later, but, I mean, he pretty much comes into the series as he would remain through the series. Yeah, he hits the ground running. Um, it's funny because in the inside look, when they're talking to uh, Wayne Knight, who appears to be standing, Yes. Like, I don't know. Did he stand for interviews for like all 180 episodes? I don't know. Well, he's so skinny now. Yeah, he got really thin. Um, although that was done a while ago. So maybe he's ballooned back up. Yeah. But he seems like a really nice guy. Yeah. I actually saw him one time at a breakfast place uh, that w- was uh, that I used to go to. Elmore Bagels? No, it was, it was not on Long Island. It was out in California. And uh, I saw him and, you know, I desperately wanted to say to him, uh, hello, Newman. But I guarantee you he gets that, you know, a hundred times a day and probably hates it. I'm pretty sure you would have been the first person ever. <laughs> really? You think so? See, now you have to have like something chambered in case you see him, you know. Like, uh, hey, this fruit makes me incontinent. <laughs> yes. And see if he picks that one up. Yes. Or like, a, you know, another deep cut. Okay. So we'll see what I can do. I was going to spit on him like the dinosaur in Jurassic Park and see what he thought about that. Oh, boy. The, I mean, I guess now, you know, you live in L.A. Yes. You probably see, I don't know if you recognize, you know, all these guest actors, but we're going through the whole series. I'm sure at some point you're going to recognize somebody. Have you seen Jurassic Park, by the way? Yeah, of course. I've First seen one. one Two, I don't remember about three. Yeah. I might even see the new one. Whoa. Okay. I, why? You, you th- does it look good? Do you think it looks good? Looks good. I mean, I, I'm not sure why they, they're still reinventing the concept of the Jurassic Park. Well, should they have done four? Do you think they should have just kept going no, with four? No, 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 no. I'm talking about the actual, like, place. Like, they had such a disaster there with the original Jurassic Park. I feel like that is akin to opening up a new power plant, calling it, like, New Chernobyl. Like, I feel like the the, the Jurassic Park brand, I feel like, not, I'm talking about in the fiction of the movie, uh, right. not in our real world. Understood. But in the fiction of the movie, are they aware of the fiction of the previous movie? I'm not sure. If it's a reimagining, then that's a different story. Yeah, because I agree. If if they know what happened the first time, that's very irresponsible. It's very irresponsible, <laughs> I feel like. If they don't, then we're going to give them a pass. Yeah. All right. So we're going to see uh, George and Jerry and Elaine all in the hospital. And uh, again, George is concerned about this vacation. Uh, Jerry is telling George that if he goes into a coma, put all his stuff into storage. And Elaine is just spouting nonsense because she's so hungry. Yeah, I mean, when you are fasting, and again, I've never fasted for three days, but you don't hallucinate. Yeah. Maybe by seven, two hours you do, but you just think about food. Like, even foods I would never eat, I cannot stop thinking about by the end of the fast. Like a Drake's coffee cake? I would, if you offered me a Drake's coffee cake on condition that I, you know, I would be able to break my fast, I would do it any any day. No, I mean, that's how it is on Survivor, too. You know, you just keep, like, thinking about foods like uh, marshmallow fluff. I never had it before, but I really wanted it when I was on Survivor. Yeah, but the the foods I really don't like, like olives or uh, bako bits, you know, I still wouldn't eat them, even if I was, you know, 48 hours in. Okay. So George is also trying to sell his vacation to Kramer. Uh, And Kramer seems semi-interested. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, Kramer doesn't have a busy schedule. He doesn't have to check his calendar. So, you know, he's in pretty fast. All right, so now let's go up to Martin's room and we see Kramer and Newman there. And Kramer is talking about how he wants his vacuum back. And he's, uh, you know, getting in Martin's face and he needs the vacuum because his mom is coming over. Babs, I guess, is coming over and she's going to kill him if she, he doesn't vacuum. Yeah, that is pretty funny that he's worried about his mom. Yeah. I also I also like um, the fact that like because when you see Newman in there, you're like, that's not like Newman to go visit somebody in the hospital, especially when you get no points for it because the guy's in a coma doesn't even know. Yeah. But really, he's just getting front row seats for when he wakes up so he could tell him about Jerry. Yes. He can't wait for him to wake up because he wants to squeal on Jerry. And now here comes Jerry. And uh, Jerry is trying to get Newman to not mention this whole thing. And uh, Newman is telling Jerry he's going to keep him very up to date. And uh, Jerry wants to know if he could tempt Newman. Now, does Jerry come into the scene knowing that he already has the key to the Newman lock? Yeah, I think this is, yeah, because he's got the two Drake's coffee cakes in his jacket, I think he, this was pre-planned. I think Jerry was going in here for the kill. Now, does he know that Newman is particularly fond of the Drake's coffee cake? Or does he know that Newman basically could have walked in with like a ring ding and it would have been the same Yeah, I think a ring ding would have done the job also. Anything. Boy, Newman is uh, such an easy guy to bribe. I mean, we've already established the retail value of the Drake's coffee cake is $2. Yeah, I do. You know, the mailman in 1992, maybe they weren't making the big bucks yet. I mean, Jerry even tells Newman, I've got a whole box of them at my house. And Newman doesn't even hold out for the box. He just is like, give me that and Drake's coffee cake. Yeah, he's a terrible negotiator. Yeah. But, you know, when he, he's maybe he's fasting also. He's thinking with his stomach. I guess so. I don't think it's that he's fasting. He doesn't appear to be fasting yet. Maybe Wayne Knight will start fasting after the end of the Seinfeld. I think I think when he's between meals, he considers that's fasting. All right, so Newman wants a bite. Jerry's going to give him a whole cake. And so, fine, he won't say anything on his mother's life. Now, does Newman violate the agreement or does Elaine's taking of the Drake's coffee cake make the agreement null and void? I think uh, I think Newman's in the clear here. I think, you know, he traded for the coffee cake. I don't know why it's Jerry's problem that somebody stole it necessarily. It's not, you know, just because he's friends with Elaine. I don't know why he has to be blamed, but... I'll give Newman a little bit of credit here. Like Elaine did steal the coffee cake and it was already bitten into. Right. So yes, now now we're like at half coffee cake. Now it's, you know, not even worth the deal. All right. So George is in the hospital. He sees the little girl that was the daughter of the psychic who was picking her nose. I don't think we mentioned that detail. And George chases her and we see the psychic who is now in labor, uh, giving birth to a baby. And George is now able to pick her brain about uh, what's going to happen to him on the trip. Yeah. My question is, uh, why didn't the psychic use her powers to figure out, uh, you know, how she'd get knocked up by a guy who would actually be in the delivery room. Hmm. Uh, well, I don't know, Keep The heart wants what the heart wants. I, I guess. Yeah. And so she's telling George, don't take that trip, but she won't say why. She's about to. And then, you know, the labor pains are too much. It's too much. It's too much. And George is like following. And eventually George has to help out with the birthing of the baby. Listen, George is a hero. Yeah. And then in the last scene, uh, we find out George assisted in the birth of the baby named Rasputin. Kramer is back from the Cayman Islands and had the best time. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, the SI swimsuit issue shooting in the pool. Wow. What are the odds? 
Um, there was a lot of nude bathing for the Sports Illustrated uh, swimsuit models. Uh, Kramer played nude backgammon with Elle McPherson. Yeah, I, I love all the 90s references here. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure if I would be so interested in nude backgammon. What, are you more of a chess guy? No, I'm not. I'm, <laughs> I'm really not so interested in too many nude activities. There's a couple. A few nude activities I'm interested in, but the nude. So this is bad. This is bad naked. I think that's bad naked. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I I feel feel like like, they could have gotten Elle McPherson for this scene, also. Yeah, maybe not quite yet. By season four, you think Elle McPherson's coming in the room? Yeah, I think they're just still building up the buzz here for Elle McPherson. At the end of the last scene. Um, Martin was beating Jerry up when he comes out of the coma. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, but Jerry doesn't seem to have any, you know, like black eyes or anything. Yeah. Well, I mean, he was probably weakened from the coma. Yeah, I guess maybe Martin's more. Well, who do you like in a fight, Jerry or Martin straight out of a coma? I mean, I think that Jerry can run away faster. I mean, that Martin's hooked up to like all these machines and things. That's true. That's yeah. true. Anyway, so uh, Kramer is talking about the best time. Al McPherson, he's like, oh, he forgot to call her. Uh, She's a sweet kid. And so yada, yada, yada. Kramer wins and George loses. Uh, Yeah, we're, you know, um, this is a few straight episodes and we've discussed, you know, who comes out on top and who comes out on bottom. And, uh, you know, Kramer's on a hot streak. He's on a hot streak. And Elaine is really the big loser here because, you know, her fast couldn't have ended more than a few days ago, and she's already refasting. Yeah, why does she have to take the ulcer test again? Because it, she didn't have the 72 hours, just like you with your, you know, with your eating at 5 a.m. The test didn't work. <laughs> hey, why do you say my test didn't work? They it came back and they said it was fine. Yeah, but you, I don't know if it didn't work, but you cheated. I didn't cheat on the test. They, you did. They don't want you to eat the whole day. That doesn't mean... It doesn't mean like, a, you know, 7 a.m. So you're saying that I have high cholesterol? No, listen, the, the inverse isn't that, like, no, you, you just don't not have low cholesterol. That's what I'm saying. I, I have. You don't know what your cholesterol is. Yes, I do. It's fine. You have every reason to believe it's fine. It's fine. Other than why ever you were there in the first place checking it out. My diet is fine. I'm not eating Drake's coffee cakes or any of these things. Listen, I'm sure you're getting a lot of exercise podcasting. <laughs> Kiva. Uh, we also see that we get the invitation to the housewarming party for Martin and Gina. Yeah, I mean, they really, they moved to the village, you know, in about three days. Man. You know, Manhattan real estate, that's pretty impressive. They must have had a great broker. Maybe there was like some sort of like malpractice that like, uh, you know, that big settlement coming with Martin. That's true. Or maybe Gina lived in the village and now Martin's moving in with Gina. Oh, that's possible. But why would they have a housewarming? I guess. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Anyway, so... The one thing that happened to Kramer on the trip is that he stepped on a jellyfish. So that was probably what the psychic was uh, talking about. Yeah. So she's like a B minus psychic. Yeah. Um, That's the end of the episode. Pretty much. Uh, We see Jerry's final stand up uh, and Jerry talking about the people that commit suicide. He doesn't understand why they stop trying because if anything, it's just another thing. That's a reminder to these people that their failures in life about, I, I feel like this is a very harsh coming from Jerry. Yeah, I actually think it's funny, but yeah, I agree that it's, you know, I'm surprised they let him get away with it. It's a funny idea, and I'm sure in 1992 it was okay, but I mean, you you couldn't do, uh, I mean, I don't think Jerry Seinfeld would do this joke now. No, first of all, it's darker than 99% of his comedy in general. Yeah. I don't know if this was like a staple in his act. Yeah, I mean, Jerry just seems pretty flip about suicide in general. 
um, in from his tone uh, throughout the whole episode. Like, um, you know, it's, he's just talking about like, ah, oh, these people that commit suicide, like, why don't they just, uh, why don't they just go through with it? Why would they stop? Even like the whole thing with the jokes from when Newman was going to commit suicide with Kramer telling him like, uh, like I dare you jump, you know, they, they really like pushing people, uh, to, if you, if you're on the fence about suicide, just get it over with, you know? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I think that in general, the show has a very flip attitude towards death. Yeah, and that's probably more, you know, of just, you know, any type of death to them is funny. OK, Akiva, yep. if this episode took place in 2015, what would be different here? I mean, are there online psychics? Um, I'm not sure if there are online psychics, but this I think that the psychic smoking the cigarettes at nine months, I think, would be really, really frowned upon. I don't even know if George could look past it in 2015. Yeah, I would agree. Also, I think uh, to throw out the garbage. You know, George is asking for a lot more than $2. Yeah, I think the Drake's coffee cake is more than $2 also. Um, yeah, well, the, the big box, probably. Yeah. Well, the two come in, how many come in a box? I don't know, two, six? Again, I'm not buying them myself, so I really don't know. But uh, I think that that's a, a big deal. Also, I think the Drake's coffee cake might be a little harder to find in 2015. Really? I think it's a little more everywhere in 1992. Is that like a diet thing or the company went under? I don't know. I'm not sure. I think, <laughs> I think it could be both. <laughs> All right. So, Akiva, where does the suicide rank for you in the ratings? All right. Well, uh, do you want to guess? I would guess, uh, what is it, out of 1 to 169, I'll say 120. No, it's, uh, so 120 is like the red dot area. It's lower than 120. Oh, yeah. Red dot's definitely better than this. Uh, 140. Um, well, I was about to say what 140 is. Don't want to spoil that. Yes. <laughs> uh, no, it is not. It's not 140. Okay, higher or lower than 140? It's lower than 140. Low- uh, it's a higher number, but it's a worse episode. Okay, uh, 150? It is 151. 151. All right, what's it, uh, what's it uh, above and between that we talked about? Uh, the tape and the jacket. Okay, I could see that. I feel like this is one of the weaker season three episodes that we've talked about. Yeah, it, but I would also say there are more moments in it than some of the one season one and two episodes. Yeah, I mean, I would say for sure there are uh, some highlights of things that were uh, that were funny, but uh, overall, yeah, I think it's uh, one of the weaker stories that we've talked about. Also, very dark. Yeah, the introduction of Newman, I feel like, uh, is it saving grace? Yeah, I mean that gets at a few points, but you know the pilot introduced Seinfeld, and that doesn't you know that doesn't mean it's uh, automatically up there. Okay, but that was you know if it wasn't for it being the first episode, if that was the fifth episode, it'd probably be one sixty nine with a bullet. Yeah, I would agree. That's fair. Yeah. All right. So let's take some of the emails that we got from you guys. Of course, our email address is Seinfeld at Post Show Recaps for our recap podcast of Seinfeld and uh, let's check in with what Mr. Johnny D. Silvera had to say. Uh, and Johnny wants to know, uh, like George's baldness, have either of you ever dreamt something uh, in your life that eventually came true? Yeah. You know, I had a psychology class senior year of high school where the, one of our assignments was we had to write down our dreams every morning. Yeah. Cause you have to like, uh, you know, you forget them after like five minutes. Yes. But I, I don't remember any of them. <laughs> you didn't save the paper. No, I don't even know if I did it in the first place. We would like cut class and play poker a lot of the time. Mark Jarrett has a question. He wants to know, uh, so Martin and Gina invited Jerry to their housewarming. For me, making out with my girlfriend on top of my comatose body would be an invitation deal breaker. Wow, Mark, you have high standards. That's like, <laughs> you know, come on, live and let live. 
Yeah, I mean, in fairness, uh, that was not even past the 24-hour coma (laughs) limitations, right? I mean, this could be a trap, right, Rob? Like, he could be inviting him to the party, and it's not really a party. They're just going to murder him. Yeah, it's like um, he's going to go in there to get whacked. That's what they do when when you get whacked, that they tell you it's going to be something good. So you come in and think it's going to be, hey, it's party. And then you get whacked. How do you know this? That's what they, that's what happens. That's why I don't go anywhere. Somebody invites me to something like, ah, this could be a trap. Have you ever been invited to like a rival podcast? And then you got like bad feeling last second, like, uh oh, no rival podcast has ever had me uh, go in into the studio. I think that would, I would be very wary. Oh, you would be wary. Yes. Mark Marin has a story when like WTF uh, started getting popular. Uh, that a guy, uh, you know, he hadn't really been on any podcasts yet. And a guy invited him to uh, be a guest on his show. And he realized like a half hour into the interview that like nothing was plugged in. And the guy was kind of like lonely and just invited him over to talk. Yeah, uh, I could imagine. I could imagine it. So, you know, I guess you have to be you have to be careful if someone invites you to their podcast. All right. So let's talk about an uh, email from Chester. Chester wants to know uh, that Elaine asked Jerry if he's ever fasted before. And he doesn't make a Yom Kippur related joke. Uh, that's a big matzo ball left sitting there. I'm convinced that Larry David would on curb and Jerry only didn't because Seinfeld was concerned about being too Jewish for network TV. What do you think? You buying that theory? Yeah, I mean, Yom Kippur doesn't have a wide enough audience. I mean, I don't know how much more or less it is than Von Bello. <laughs> you know, they do throw in some random jokes. But, you know, first of all, they didn't write the episode. Tom Leopold did. Uh, but yeah, I think, I, I think Larry is a little, uh, a little more in touch with the Jewish stuff than Jerry also. Yeah. Curb really has some real inside baseball stuff and Seinfeld is not at all. All right. Um, also another point that Chester brings up is Elaine is a vegetarian fantasizing about juicy duck. Uh, are you buying that? Yeah. I mean, first of all, like we said, when you're fasting, you'll fantasize about anything. And also we know that Elaine's vegetarianism comes and goes with the wind, you know. There's a lot of people like that. Yeah, for sure. She's not a, you know, it, it, it's really, it goes by the day. All right. Akiva, what is coming up next week on the Seinfeld recap? Next week, we have uh, the fix-up. George starts dating uh, Janice from Friends. Oh, this is exciting. Uh, yeah, we're only, uh, we're two weeks away from uh, the I'm Keith Hernandez episode. Wow. Look at us just barreling through uh, all the Seinfeld season three. I'm excited about the fix-up. I feel like I, I remember that episode uh, when it was on. Uh, yeah, we're, you know, before you know it, Rob, it's going to be season four. Oh, my God. I can't believe it. I got to go back to uh, my father-in-law's house and uh, get the <laughs> DVDs. Are you going to be back in time? Yeah, I think so. Uh, well, how many weeks do we have? Uh, I think like six. Six? Oh, I might be cutting it close. <laughs> cutting it close. Do you have someone coming out there to California? Um, no, but I think I might be able to just like bridge the gap until we get there, figure out some alternative methods of seeing the first couple shows from season four before I get out there. Going back to New York in March for the live uh, Survivor Know-It-Alls, March 11th. Yeah, I'm sure, you know, the schedule of when you get the DVDs is, is I'm sure, fascinating to everybody. It's riding on it. Okay. <laughs> All right, Akiva. Uh, what what we say? Uh, coma etiquette was the hashtag? Coma etiquette. I don't think you're going to beat coma etiquette. Coma etiquette. Boom. You get to listen to the first five seconds and then just turn this off. Like most people. If someone if someone tweets his catchphrase, I think I have to test them and make sure they listen to the whole thing. <laughs> yes. Do you want to give a fake out? Uh, say that that was a fake out uh, hashtag and then the real hashtag is something different? Uh, what would it be, though? Uh, let's see. Uh, Drake's coffee cake? 
I mean, I don't know. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to impinge on like the Drake's business. I'm sure they've got an active social. Believe media. Believe me, I think if anybody was tweeting Drake's coffee cake, I think they'd be very happy. Rasputin. You think so? I think they'd be very excited. <laughs> All right, fine. What do you want? Either. I mean, either one. We'll 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 separate the men from the boys here. Okay. There you go. All right. We'll be back next week with more Seinfeld. Take care, everybody. Bye. 